Aren't you glad for that hope tonight? I'm going to a city whose builder and maker is God. Amen. I'm thankful in spite of what turmoil may be in the world, what confusion may be in the world. That's all right. Let the heathen rage. I'm going to a city. Amen. And not only that, but soon and very soon, we're going to see the king. Amen. So, so glad, so thankful for that hope and for all of the things that it brings into our lives. It strengthens us. It helps us to carry on sometimes just knowing that the Lord is preparing a place for us and we are going to go there. We're going to be with him and I better not get sidetracked on all of that. Amen. Before you're seated tonight, I want to take your attention to Matthew chapter 13 for one verse. Matthew 13 verse 44. You will remember from our first few weeks in uh, dealing with this theme through this month that Matthew 13 has several different parables about the nature of the kingdom of heaven. I want to highlight one of those tonight, and we will um, spend some time discussing one of the more sensitive aspects of stewardship. But it is an important aspect, and the Lord is giving us instruction in this area and is making some promises to us. And so with that little bit of a backdrop, let's read verse 44. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a treasure hid in a field, the which when a man hath found, he hideth, and for joy thereof goeth and selleth all that he hath, and buyeth the field. And so tonight I want to talk just for a little while about one more aspect of stewardship, and that is the aspect of treasure. Amen? Why don't we go to the Lord in prayer? And I know we've been worshiping together. We've felt the Spirit of the Lord here. Ask the Lord to just kind of marinate and season our hearts tonight as we go to His Word. Lord, we're so grateful for Your presence. We're grateful for the strength that You bring into our lives. Thankful for all of the things that You do for us. Your provision and Your protection. Your encouragement, Your strength. All of these things we need, Lord. And we ask tonight that you would open our eyes to your will for our lives and help us to catch the vision of what could really be and what the possibilities really are. Help us tonight, Lord, as we look into your word with the psalmist that we would say, open your eyes, open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things out of your law. Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said amen. Amen. You can be seated tonight. We have, of course, spent some time talking about the idea of stewardship. And the idea is that all of the things that we have access to in our lives, our time, our talent, our energy, first of all, all of those things are scarce or they are finite. That is, there is a limited supply of them. And the older we get, the more apparent this becomes to us that energy and 
uh, intellect and capability and all of these things in our lives are are limited. We have boundaries that we just cannot go beyond. But we recognize that actually those things that we have access to, they're not ours. We don't own them, but we have been given them or we have been uh, lent those things to manage by the Lord. And that is really what stewardship is, is managing someone else's resources. So I'm not the source of my own life. The Lord is the source of my life. I don't create or own the air that I breathe. That's the Lord's breath that he gives to me. And in that sense, everything that we do really belongs to the Lord. And he graciously gives us these things in our lives. And we recognize, in recognizing that, our, our course toward maturity is to be good managers of what the Lord has entrusted to us. And this extends, as we've talked about, extends really to every area of our lives. Now, the one area, perhaps, that is the most easily identifiable, and yet the one, I don't know if this is a Western thing or not, but the one we don't like to talk about is money. We don't really like to talk about treasure. And in fact, I didn't really want to talk about it either. Um, Pastor was supposed to be teaching this lesson tonight. <clears throat> and he didn't want to talk about it either, so he got sick. No, I'm just kidding. But, sorry, Pastor, if you're watching, that was a low blow, wasn't it? But, you know, I thought, well, actually, maybe it's better because I don't really, I don't benefit from this, right? I'm not on staff and... And, uh, and in fact, if you don't like something that I've said tonight, you can make an appointment and come by the office during business hours because I'm never here. And so y'all just come on by and talk to Pastor or Brother Landon and everything will be, everything will be good. But we, there is, we don't like to talk about money. And the reason why is because it is, um, it is that most seemingly that most flexible thing that we have. Now, interestingly enough, the Lord talked quite a bit about money. Um, some more than maybe half uh, of the parables that the Lord taught directly related to money. And if you go and look through uh, scriptures and you just do a simple word count, um, there's quite a bit of discussion about money. Now, maybe that colors the conversation a little bit, colors the statistics a little bit, uh, because the Lord didn't always, wasn't always directly talking about money when he used money as an example. He's talking about the kingdom, he's talking about investing in the kingdom, but our verse that we, we read tonight has to deal with that, and it is a, um, it is a parable, a story to us that explains to us something about the nature of the kingdom of God. Now, when we hear these parables, it's always interesting. The Lord tells a story, and uh, I always like to kind of play this game. Now, who am I in the story, right? Um, am, I the, uh, am I the brother that is at home, or am I the prodigal son? Or am I the dad who's longing and hoping for the prodigal to return? And sometimes we like to think of ourselves as the faithful, dutiful 
older brother sitting at home, taking care of business, doing what we're supposed to do, being faithful, when the reality is that all of us were the prodigal. We were all in the pig pen, and it was the heavenly father who was waiting for us and who provided us a way home. Well, when I look at this verse tonight, I have the same question about the treasure that's in the field. Um, you know, am I... Uh, Am I the treasure that was buried in the field when the Lord saw how wonderful I was? He went and left heaven and sold all that he had and came to the earth and he redeemed me and he purchased me and he dug me out. And wow, what a great and wonderful treasure I am. I suppose there is some truth to that, um, but probably not, probably more flattering than is realistic. Um, Or am I the one who, stumbling along, realized the unsearchable riches of Christ, and I thought, man, I really need to be able to have access to Jesus, so I have given up everything, and I've sold everything that I have to follow and to gain the Lord, and he's the treasure, and I'm the wayfarer coming along. Well, that's probably a little more flattering of me than it should be as well. The Lord says it's the kingdom that is buried in the ground and its identity is somewhat lost and if we realize the treasure of the kingdom then we are willing in this case the scripture said he went with joy and sold all that he had so often when we engage ourselves in the kingdom we want to focus on the level of sacrifice that we're engaging in and we cannot believe that others don't recognize how sacrificial we are in our service of the Lord but the sense that you get when you read Matthew 13:44 is not that the the wavering man did not think of himself as sacrificing He went with joy and sold all that he had because he realized the value of what he was gaining access to far outweighed what he was giving up. And the Lord says this is the way the kingdom of heaven is, is when you realize the treasure that is the kingdom of God, anything that you have to give up to obtain that and to really get hold of it is going to be, you will do that with joy. If you could... Go today and buy Google or Starbucks or Bitcoin. Let's take Bitcoin. And you could buy Bitcoin at its... If somebody had a deal said, I'll sell you as much as you want at 2012 or 2015 prices. You would sell everything you could get your hands on to be able to buy Bitcoin five seven, ten years ago pricing. And you would not think of yourself as sacrificing because you would realize once this transaction is done, anything that I've sold I can buy a hundred times over if I want to restore that. And so the Lord was saying, this is the way the kingdom of heaven is, is when you realize the measure of the treasure, then there is no sacrifice of what you're giving up. Because what you're gaining is so much more valuable and so much more lasting. Turn to Matthew chapter 6 with me. You see, we we all have desires. I think maybe the reason why the Lord would talk about money is because for all of us, if you were to take a survey tonight and say, if you had a million dollars, what would you do? We would all give 
different answers. They might be variations on a theme, but they would be different answers. And the thing about money is, you know, we all have things that we like, things that we enjoy. And money is that one thing that helps us get the things we think we want. And so we, especially in the West, in a capitalist world where maybe entrepreneur or we're working and we're, we're investing and all of this, we have this sense with money is that, hey, I have earned this. I had an agreement with my employer or I made an investment and this is mine. And the Lord is saying, well, now, wait a minute. <laughs> you don't own any of that. I've put these resources into your hand. I put the capabilities into your hand to acquire these resources. And my expectation is that you will manage these appropriately. Notice what the Lord says in Matthew six nineteen: Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth. That's interesting. A direct command not to lay up treasures on the earth. Why? Where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. It's not lasting. Whatever we spend our energy on and whatever we put our hands to, whatever we work hard to obtain and to gather together, it's not going to be lasting. It's fleeting. Now there's always this um, desire, you know, I think this desire to kind of take it with us, but you can't. And when Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes, and he says, it's all vanity, everything's vanity. He says, I put all this stuff together, and essentially what he says is, somebody else is going to be wearing my clothes, somebody else is going to be living in my house, somebody else is going to be eating of my crops and drinking of my vineyards, and I'm going to be gone. This is all vanity. I've worked for all of this, and it doesn't, it doesn't do me any good. And so even if you manage to protect against the ravages of time, you protect your treasure against it, the truth is we're not going to be here to enjoy it. We're not going to be here to take it. Somebody, when John Rockefeller passed away, the story's told that somebody asked his accountant, said, well, how much money did Mr. Rockefeller leave? And the accountant said, all of it. Yeah. <laughs> he left it all. Didn't take a dime with him. Kind of reminds me of the, the woman who was laying her husband to rest and his, one of his last wishes was that he'd be buried with, you know, all of his money and he had all these gold coins and all this cash and everything and it was all inside the casket and just before they got ready to close the casket, she said, hold on a minute. She gathered all that stuff up, took it out and wrote a check and put it in there. Pretty positive that check was never going to be run through. Make sure you seal that thing real good right there. Because, because you can't take it with you. When you lay up treasures on this earth, you can't take it with you. And this is, you know, this is the challenge for us. It is a natural thing for us to want to do that. But we have to realize we can't take it with us. The old ancient world, they would bury all these kings and they would bury them with so much stuff, so much gold and all of this 
because there was a superstition or whatever that they would need it in the afterlife. And uh, it just reminded me in Matthew where he says, where robbers break through and steal. In those days, grave robbers actually did a service to economies because they would break in after some time into these king's tombs and they'd take all that gold out and get it back into circulation again. And because really, it doesn't matter, Lee, there a generation or two, it's not going anywhere because you can't take it. But Randy Alcorn wrote the book, The Treasure Principle, probably 20 years or more ago. He said, you can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. That is the concept that we're talking about tonight. That while we have access to these resources, we can, as Paul would say about time, Paul said, redeeming the time, we're redeeming the resources that the Lord has given to us that are only of temporary value to us, but when we use them appropriately, they take on eternal import. Yeah. And this brings to mind the quote I mentioned either last week or the week before by the missionary Jim Elliott that said, he's no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And this is what the Lord says in Matthew 16, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, verse 20, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. So the Lord is not telling us, now look, you shouldn't be storing up for yourself, you shouldn't be greedy. What he's saying is, to try to lay up treasures on the earth is foolhardy, and it does not accomplish what you want it to accomplish. What you should do rather instead is lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven. That's where the lasting treasure is. That's where you will convert your temporary energies and your temporary resources. You will convert those into lasting riches where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, where thieves do not break through or steal. The Lord is a good banker. He's trustworthy. And there won't ever be a run on heaven's bank that he can't meet. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Somebody said he owns the gold and the silver under the hills. He's not short of resources, and you can trust him. The FDIC is good to what, $100,000? Maybe they've changed that. I don't know. It doesn't matter to me. But they, they may have changed what that number is. But really, they, they have a limit of what, they're, what they will guarantee your deposits. So let me tell you, the Lord has no limit right. to the level of insurance he will apply to your deposits that you make for him. So he said, lay up treasures in heaven. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. If you're putting treasures in heaven, you won't be longing to stay around on this earth. And it won't upset you so badly when all of this stuff starts falling apart and breaking apart because you say, you know what? This world is not my home. I've just been an ambassador here. I've converted all of my confederate money into some kind of a currency that's going to last me for a long time. And all I've got to do is trust the Lord to get me out of here. And then everything is going to be taken care of. And so this is the idea tonight is that when we are working for the Lord, when we're using our time, we're using our talent. And yes, even when we are using our treasure, we are investing in the world to come. It's interesting to me, again, that the Lord said, you can actually lay up treasures in heaven by the way you use your earthly treasure. So what a great privilege we have. Now, when you start looking at the scripture and you say, well, what is the big picture of money in the scripture? There really 
kind of three different types of monetary, what we would say monetary giving in the scripture. One is tithes, one is offerings, and the other is alms. Tithes, Brother Kilgore would always tell us, you don't give your tithes, you pay your tithes. We'll talk about that. You have a bill, you're paying your tithes. You give free will offering, whatever you choose. And then, and you can look up free will offerings in the scripture. You'll see occurrences of those happening all throughout the scripture. And then there are alms. This is when you give to meet a need to help the poor. And the Lord said, when you do alms right, the right hand doesn't know what the left hand is doing. In other words, there's an element of secrecy that just happens that you just see a need and you meet it. Now, the truth is, if we're going to be prepared to participate in the Lord's plan, it's going to take some planning on our part. We have to have some purpose. We have to make up in our mind that this is the way the resources that come in, this is the way we're going to allocate them and spend them. And one I probably will focus on primarily here is this idea this idea of tithes. And there's several different points to be made. First of all, the the tithe, that particular word, of course, that appears in the King James Version, and it's just an Elizabethan English word that means the tenth or ten percent. So when you see the tithe in the Old Testament or in the New Testament, it specifically is referring to an offering that was ten percent. And when you studied out in the Old Testament, they were giving ten percent of the increase. It was an agrarian society. And the idea was that whatever they harvested, whatever the increase they planted, they worked, the ground brought forth, they harvested, they brought 10% of whatever they harvested and they gave it to the Lord. Now, there's some who would object and say, well, wait, that was an Old Testament thing. We're not under the law anymore. We're under grace. So the tithe is not for the New Testament. Well, a couple of things. First of all, Abraham tithed to the prince of Salem long before there was ever a Mosaic law. So there is a precedent for tithes long before Moses came along. But even forgetting that, if we say, well, we're not under the law, but we're under grace, well then, seems to me like maybe the 10% ought to be the bottom. That might ought to be the floor. Because if I have now been blessed with access into the very presence of God, and I live in a time where God has forgiven my sins, and he has justified me, and he's taken up residence inside of me, and now I am walking, I I have become the temple of God. Know you not you're the temple of God? Because the Holy Ghost dwells in you? If I am the living, breathing, walking temple of the Holy Ghost, why would I want to say, well, I I probably can't do as much monetarily as those old agrarian farmers in the Old Testament. And the Lord himself told the, the Pharisees, he said, you know, you guys, you tithe on your herb gardens. You know, they grow these little herbs, the mint and the dill and the caminos or whatever. And, and because they wanted to fulfill the law, they would tithe on those things. So if they had 10 leaves, they'd tear one leaf off and bring it to the temple, you know. And the Lord said, you're so meticulous that you would tithe off of your herbs, but you omit the weightier matters of the law, mercy and justice and love. Right. And the Lord said, he didn't just leave it there. He said, 
these you ought to have done. You should have dealt with the more weighty things, but the other not to have left undone. In other words, he was not condemning them for their level of meticulousness about tithing. What he was saying is don't get it out of balance. Don't get it out of proportion. So you won't find anywhere in the New Testament where the Lord did away with tithing. Because this is actually a principle that goes much deeper, and it is this principle of first fruits. You probably have heard mention of that. And the idea behind first fruits is that whenever you would begin the harvest as an acknowledgement, this again is going back to these agrarian societies, as an acknowledgement that God has blessed our efforts and he's caused our crops to grow, as an acknowledgement that this blessing is from the Lord, we'll take the first fruits and we will offer those to the Lord. And it's an acknowledgement that, Lord, we recognize you are the source. I'm not taking care of my needs first. I'm saying first and foremost, I want to acknowledge you are the giver of life. You, it's some water and some plant, but it's you, Lord, that gives the increase. And so when I give the first fruits, I'm acknowledging that, that God is the source of all of this. And I'm saying, you know what, Lord, because you're giving me all of this, I'm trusting you. I don't have to take care of my needs first, but I'm actually trusting that you're going to take care of me. And you see this principle of first fruits in the Old Testament. Everything from the firstborn of all the animals that they had, they would sacrifice those. They were commanded to sacrifice those. And, and in fact, it extended to all of their animals. It, it even extended to their families. But rather than, like the heathens, sacrifice the firstborn of their children, they were to offer a redemptive offering. There was a redemption offering that they could give in that case. But the point is, the principle of first fruits went through every aspect of their life. And that's where tithing really comes from. It is us saying, Lord, I'm taking the first fruit of what you have given to me, and I'm trusting it into your hands. Now, you probably, if, (laughs) I know probably almost everyone in the room does tithe. If you don't, you're probably sitting there trying to calculate, move decimal points and figure out how much 10% is. And, And it's a lot. But, you know, the Lord kind of has a way. If you think 10% of your current salary is too much to give the lord could cause your salary to lower to get it down to a value you think you could deal with right (laughs) what's the church number the church office number by the same token you know maybe if you say lord i'm really feeling the pinch maybe i'm going to start tithing on the salary i want and trust the lord to to now you say now brother starks we don't manipulate the lord i am I am 100% in agreement. But go with me to the book of Malachi. And turn, it's right before Matthew. It's the last book of the Old Testament. (laughs) Chapter 3, verse 8. Now because the tithe was the first fruit, this was the reason why Brother Kilgore would say, you don't give your tithes, you pay your tithes. You have, that is a debt that you have. It was a commandment that you will pay, you know, you will pay the 10%. Now notice what Malachi, what the Lord says through the prophet Malachi. Will a man rob God? Now there is a scary concept. I don't ever want to be construed as having stolen from the Lord. 
I don't want to be a thief anyway, but most certainly I wouldn't want my victim to be the Lord. And he says, will a man rob God? And the answer, of course, was, well, Lord, we would certainly not want to do that. And the Lord says, yet you have robbed me. And you say, wherein have we robbed you? And he said, in tithes and offerings. They would bring the bare necessities. They would bring the, the feeble from the flock. They would bring the damaged. They would give just whatever to meet the letter of the law. And the Lord says, you're, you are hijacking the whole point of all of this. And you're not trusting in me. And so he says in verse 9, You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Notice verse 10. This is God's plan in the Old Testament. Bring you all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be meat or food in my house. This was God's plan for feeding the Levitical tribe that they were not out farming and uh, with their herds and their flocks and so forth. They were taking care of the things within the, uh, within the tabernacle and the the things within the religious order of the day, and the Lord had this, this was the Lord's plan to take care of the Levites. And if you study this out, he didn't say you pay your tithe to the Levites. No, you pay your tithes to the Lord, and the Lord has assigned that to the Levites. And this is a real concept that it's, and I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, that even in whatever area we're giving, we need to have the mindset that we are, it is as though we are handing it to the Lord. Peter said if, and Paul said this also, if servants obey your masters as unto the Lord or as unto Christ, it is as though you're doing this as service to the Lord, not to that earthly master. And in the same way, when we pay our tithes and offerings, we pay those things as unto the Lord. Now, I know these great gentlemen stand down here and they take this up and then it is used by the staff of the church. But actually, they're in a fearful position. Because we as the people of God have given our offering as unto the Lord. And so if that is misused, they don't answer to us. Because <laughs> it's still from me. I gave that to the Lord. You misuse that, you've stolen from the Lord. It's a fearful place to be. And so the Lord says through Malachi, bring tithes into the storehouse. There will be food in my house for my servants. And... Then he says a strange thing that I don't find anywhere else in Scripture. He says, prove me herewith. Test me in this matter. I don't find that anywhere else. You know, Gideon fleeced the Lord. The Lord told him to go down and fight the Midianites, and Gideon didn't believe, and so he put the fleece out, and he tested the Lord. But that wasn't by commandment, and the Lord actually had mercy on him, and and I, I, I... Sometimes, you know, we get in situations we want to fleece the Lord, and, and, and maybe, maybe the Lord has grace and mercy on us. But those things, those are not commandments. And really, the Lord's idea in those cases is that we, we really ought to walk by faith. If the Lord told us to do something, we ought to just be obedient and walk by faith. But sometimes, you know, we're not too sure we really heard from the Lord. You know, maybe that dream I had last night was because we ate that pizza too late before bed and things just got a little crazy in the middle of the night, right? So now, Lord, I need to know, did I really hear from you? But in this case, the Lord says, prove me in this matter. 
Prove me. He says, If I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. And what the Lord said to the people of Israel was, If you will be honest with me, and you will trust me, I will just try me. I will pour you out a blessing that the, I'm going to open the windows of heaven. You won't be able to contain the blessing. Right. I hear people say, well, that is, I, I just can't, I can't afford to give. I have all these obligations. I can't afford to give. And sometimes I know we get ourselves in a spot and if we haven't really been planning and we haven't been looking ahead and we haven't been looking toward these things, it's easy to get ourselves kind of locked up in some of this. So we have to say, Lord, you're going to have to help me. But I'm going to tell you the truth. You can't afford not to. Now, this is, this is my own personal testimony. This is not pastor sitting here telling you this. This is just, I'm, I'm one of you. But I'm telling you, my discovery, my experience in my life is you can't afford not to give your tithe to the Lord. Because the Lord has said in his word, he promises, if you will be upfront and you will be honest with me in this regard, I will pour you out a blessing that you cannot contain. Now, sometimes those blessings don't always come the way we think they do. You know, we put the check in the plate on Sunday and then we're checking the account the next day, hoping magically the bank made a mistake or something and there's a couple of million in there. It doesn't always happen that way. But read the next verse. Because the Lord, he says, I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, and he shall not destroy the fruit of your ground. Neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field, saith the Lord of hosts. And all nations shall call you blessed, for you shall be a delightsome land, saith the Lord of hosts. When we withhold and we misuse the resources that God has entrusted us with, he has a way of getting that from us anyway. He put holes in our pockets. He puts nails in the road that we drive the tires over. He puts a little rattle in the transmission. He has his ways of getting. But he said, if you will be upfront and honest with me, and you will trust me, Because again, when we are stewards, we're saying, Lord, I recognize this is all yours. And I know you've given me this to live off of. But as my acknowledgement to you that I recognize that you own this, I'm giving you this up front and I'm trusting you with it. Because your word says you promised that you would take care of me with the 90% that's left over. And the Lord said, if you will do that, well, I might make those tires last a little bit longer. Those bald old things, I might put a little tread back on them for you. I mean, the Lord just has a way of stretching things and blessing us. And, and you know, it, Brother Landon quoted it tonight when he's talking about the move, the mission offering. Give, and it shall be given you. Pressed down, shaken together, running over. Man, I love that. I love the idea that the Lord is mindful of where we are. He knows what our needs are. And if we trust him enough to say, Lord, you commanded, and this is what I'm 
putting in your hands, I'm being obedient to your word, and I know that you're the source of everything that I have. I'm trusting that you are going to give me what I need. And then it comes back to us. What did he say? Cast your bread on the water. And many days later, you're going to get more than that. What do you get back? You don't get soggy bread back. You get fat fish back is what you get. You cast your bread on the water. He has a way of multiplying it, turning it into useful things. And that verse that said, pressed down, shaken together, running over. What's the next phrase say? Shall men give into your bosom? The Lord has a way of saying, you know what? There's resources all around here. I can give you favor with just the right person that you need to have favor with to meet the need that you have. And I can be working all that out before you even realize you have a need. But it all starts with us recognizing, you know what, Lord? Even if I try to hoard and keep everything that I can amass to myself, I'll never be able to take care of my needs. I'll never be able to do it all myself. I mean, folks, let's be honest with the way things are today and medical bills and all of that sort of thing. All it takes is one catastrophe of one kind or another. And most of us are sunk for good because you can rack up tens and hundreds of thousands of dollars in a matter of hours. So I know I can never guarantee that I've got all of my needs taken care of, but Lord, you're the one who's in control. You're the one who has control over these resources. So I, I, I'm going to try to be a wise steward and I'm going to take care of, then take care of my knees and take care of my family. But what I really want to do, Lord, is I want to lay up treasures in the world that is to come because those are the treasures that are going to last. And so if I plan ahead, then not only do I, am I able to pay my tithe, but when I see a need, I'm able to make a free will offering. And what you discover is that when you really catch the vision that, you know what, move the mission, I'm investing in Tupelo Children's Mansion. I'm investing in Bible quizzing. I'm investing in foreign missions. I'm buying cars for missionaries on the other side of the world. There is a joy in giving and contributing to that. And it feels it's a fulfilling thing to be to realize I'm giving into the work of the Lord. And because of this, I went to a job that I didn't really like. Work for a boss I didn't really like. I've got a little bit of money. Thought I had, should have had a lot more, but they paid me a little bit for showing up, doing my job. And I took a portion of that and I gave it. And because of that mundane effort, the Lord was able to work with a missionary in a brush arbor somewhere and save souls. And somebody winds up in heaven because I took a portion of what God entrusted me, gave it to his work. And that is... The simple, plain mechanism of the way we take and not lay up treasures for ourselves here, but in the world that is to come. The Lord blesses our efforts. And you may think, I just don't have that much to give. I mean, okay, I'm going to pay my tithes, but then I don't have much to give. Just remember what the Lord did with loaves and fishes. And when we give what we have and we... Do what we can do. The Lord does the part that we can't do. I can't multiply it. I can't make it grow. I wish I could. Wish I could do better at making it grow. But when I give it to him, when I trust it into his hands, he's able to break it and do more with it than what I could ever do with it anyway in the first place. So the real question tonight is...
do we trust God to take care of us? Or do we feel a need that I have to keep everything, I have to, I have to hoard it all, I have to keep it all under control, I have to keep it all within the boundaries. I'm not talking about being an unwise steward, you understand what I'm saying, but can I, can I trust God to say, okay, I, I have enough to meet my needs, Lord, what I want you to do is take this and build churches and build Bible colleges and reach the lost and help young people that are troubled or young people that are trying to learn your word or buy a car for a missionary. The Lord is able to do all of those things. Why don't you stand with me tonight? We have to trust the Lord with all of this stuff. Our energies, our time, whatever capabilities we have, and yes, even our money. And it is an opportunity for us to invest, as Brother Landon said about Move the Mission. We're investing in the kingdom of God. And that is the kingdom that's going to last forever. Paul said that he, he wrote to the church at Corinth, 1 Corinthians 4, he said, I want you to think of us as ministers of Christ and as stewards of the mysteries of God. And then he said, verse 2, he said, Moreover, it is required of stewards that a man be found faithful. You know, ultimately, it's not up to us to say, well, we have to, you know, me personally, I have to be responsible for giving $10 million or building some great edifice or or doing some great thing. No, all that's required of me is that I be faithful with what God has trusted into my hands. And if each of us are faithful with what God has put under our control and in our care, the Lord has a way of taking all of that, putting it all together, and multiplying it, and you are amazed at what God is able to do with it. My prayer tonight is, Lord, when it comes to the end, I just want to be found faithful. I just want to be... One of those, I don't know if it's a one talent, a five talent, a ten talent. I don't know. I don't know where I fit. But I just want you to say, well done. Well done. Why don't we pray tonight in closing? Ask the Lord to, if something in here has kind of piqued your curiosity, maybe... You know, you dig a little further. We have limited time to really explore all of these ideas. But uh, but I believe the Lord is calling us to faithfulness and to being good stewards of what he has put in our care. And let's just ask the Lord to help us do that tonight. Lord, we're so grateful for the way that you have met with us over the past few weeks. And you've stirred our hearts. And there's a, a recognition in our heart. Lord, certainly we can see it with our own eyes that this world is not going to last. And that... There is a trajectory that is downward, Lord, in this world in which we live. And whatever it is that we give ourselves to in this world, it's going to be temporary. But you have made it so easy for us to invest in the world that is to come. I pray, Lord, you would keep that vision before us and let there be a clarity in our hearts and a purpose that calls to us that says... Take what I have given to you and to use it and to be faithful in your use of it and that we could turn it from temporal, temporary things into things that last forever. I pray, Lord, that you would guide each and every one of us. These are individual decisions. Each situation is different. 
each of our conditions and uh, capabilities and what we have is all different, what we have access to and control over. I ask, Lord, you would deal with each of us severally as is pleasing to you and help us, Lord, to be pleasing in your sight. So that when we come to the end and we stand before you, we know there is a time of accounting coming. Lord, just those two words would be all we would want to hear. Well done. And if we hear that, Lord, we know we will be forever thankful and grateful for your help. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't we give the Lord a hand clap tonight. Thank him for his word and his provision in our lives. Lord, we're so grateful. We honor you, Lord. We want to honor you with our lives, with all, everything that we have. Mind, soul, body, strength, everything we have, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Lord bless you. We will see you this weekend, Lord willing. And uh, remember our announcements and look forward to seeing you this weekend.